Hello, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Happy, it's it's Christmas. And Merry Christmas. Mer Merry Christmas. It's crisis time. Merry crisis. Um, it's the holidays for some, um, for us here in Boston. Although not really, because yeah. we don't ascribe to that particular religion. Yeah, I was Jewish. Now I'm not really anything. But we live in America, so Christmas is everywhere obligatory. Mm -hmm. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Mariah Carey. Mariah Christmas. Um... <laughs> This is Science and Podcast, brought to you by Science and Pictures Magazine. We're here to take the headache out of peer-reviewed scientific literature. And who are we? Who are we? Well, I'm Jared, I think. He's Jared. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm Madison. I think you might be. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as per usual, we're going to take a recently published scientific article. We're going to break down the jargon. We're going to share some fun facts that have nothing to do with it. And then uh, we're going to talk all about it and make it easy to understand. And you're going to learn some new fun facts while also listening to us make a lot of stupid jokes. Yes. Yeah. So welcome or welcome back. Rate, review, and subscribe. All right. Either way. Hi. I was going to say welcome back again. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. This is up to such a good start. <laughs> so Madison, uh, can, can you give us a little taste of the paper you brought for us this week? Yes. So I'm not going to tell you the title because it contains a spoiler. Just like every paper of every every title yeah, of every scientific paper I, spoils the whole thing. I want to be secretive. Okay. It's a Christmas surprise. <laughs> However, um, I will also not be listing the authors. Because <laughs> just like last time, there are too many. There are like 20 this time, and I don't want to list just a couple of them and leave anybody out. So all, all of that... We'll be in the show notes. We love all of you equally. Yes, we do. I do love these scientists. Um, you'll see. What I will tell you, actually, is that the study has to do with an archaeological dig Ooh. that uncovers the deepest values of humans who lived 10 years ago. Oh, like cultural values? Yeah. Buzzwords include archaeology, anthropology, and mortuary science. Mortuary science. Yes. Fancy. So it's going to be a little creepy. Yeah. A little cool. Like I could say, we're dicking up the ghosts of Christmas past. Are we dicking up the ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> I said digging. You, but... you did not, and the record will show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my mind was elsewhere. <laughs> Let's dick up some ghosts. Uh, no, we can't. We can't do any of that. What does that mean? <laughs> Nothing good. I've heard of dig down. Dick up. <laughs> We should stop. Dick it up. Um, <laughs> I can't, I can't stop. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> We're appropriate for all ages. Mm -hmm. We're so mature. Yeah. So before we get into that actual article, uh, I want to share a fun fact that has very little to do with it, but that I did actually learn while researching the article. Nice. Because I did a lot of rabbit holes, like to try to figure out what was going on during the time period that this study took place. And one thing that I found out... Um, so, Jared, when did woolly mammoths go extinct? The last ones went extinct around 4,000 years ago or so. And where did they live? They were isolated on islands, the last population. He already were. knows it, guys. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> well, I just learned There's that. a really, really, really good book uh, called End of the Megafauna that came out a couple years ago. Uh, the illustrations are excellent, and it gives sort of like a modernized explanation to what we know happened back then and what we just sort of think happened back then in terms of like the extinctions and when they occurred oh. and how they occurred and how much humans were actually evolved and how much we don't actually know they were involved in it. Um, it's really fascinating. All right, that's cool. So correct me if I'm wrong about this, but what I found in a brief Google <laughs> um, is that most woolly mammoths went extinct about 10,500 years ago, 
But a subpopulation survived on an isolated island off of Siberia called Wrangell Island. Mm-hmm. Well, now called Wrangell Island. They didn't name it. <laughs> um, and they were there until about 3,700 years ago. And I think that's really awesome for them. But um, the downside of it was that their DNA was basically a disaster. And from the samples they found, like, the males could barely make sperm. And a bunch of them had diabetes. And, like, none of them had a sense of smell. Yeah. What I think happened was just, like, a massive bottleneck in, in the population that just mm-hmm. sort of left, like, the least genetic healthy ones were the ones that somehow ended up surviving. And that never ends up good at the aftermath. Yeah. So that's what I learned about woolly mammoths. Sounds about right. Yeah. What did you learn this week, Jared? I was remembering a book I read a little while ago called uh, Spineless by, I want to say her name was Julie Berwald. Yes! I'll have to look it up It has a later. jellyfish on the cover. It does. Mm-hmm. And it's all about jellyfish. But it, um, what I remember reading because I was looking at a dolphin on, that's not a dolphin, that is a full-blown shark. But what I remember uh, learning about in that book, there was a lot of stuff, but what I found really oh, cool. Oh, to be clear, he saw the hammerhead shark that's in my room. It's not real. It's made of wood. I don't have like a Damien Hurst style fully preserved shark in my room. <laughs> yeah, right. They can't see us, can they? No, they cannot. <laughs> like, not shark over there. Listeners are like, what? What? Is shark? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Uh, not an actual one. There's yeah. a live crocodile under it, too. Um, He's not alive, but uh, he is real. His name's Randy. Was say, real. Say hi to Randy, everyone. Randy. Hi, Randy. So when Randy, the shark, or the dolphin that doesn't exist, Randy when any... a crocodile. When any marine animal... <laughs> swimming in the water um the prevailing assumption of what used to happen was that all the force was generated from behind them uh they turned their paddles and and they pushed the water forward but it's not 100 percent what's happening uh what they're also doing in the front of their body is moving the water in a way that generates these little cyclones and actually pulls them forward at the same time they're pushing themselves forward no way. so they're pushing shark? themselves all it's sharks? it's all marine animals oh. they all do this well all the ones that swim wow. and have like a fish-like body that's so efficient yeah <laughs> Efficient. Efficient. Very nice. Wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I definitely thought it was all tail power. I'd be explaining that extremely poorly, but it was cool when I learned it. it. Makes sense to me. Like you move the head one way while the tail moves the same way. It creates a little vacuum that then the water fills it and swirls, and then it pulls the body forward a little bit on the the, the swirl part that moves forward. I I'm doing an explanation with my hands that I think would help all of you, but you can't see it. So. It kind of looks like she's stirring a pot and also keeping the pot stable with one hand. Always stirring the pot. <laughs> That's Madison. Yes. All right, fun. So that was my fun fact. Good I fun think. fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Love it. Love it when we talk about sharks. Um, or whatever the hell I was talking about. All right. <laughs> cool. Um, so back to the bulk of today. To the jargon corner. To the jargon corner. Here we are. Oh, we're just making a rough stop. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, no nonsense today. No banter. <laughs> <laughs> Lies. Um, <laughs> all right. What is the Holocene Epoch? Ooh. Epoch. Uh, epic. <laughs> um, so epics are segments of uh, geologic time. It's uh, sort of time outside the realm of how we can usually understand it. Um, but it is one of the smallest segments of geologic time. I don't think there's like a set time to what an epic can be, but it's like in the league of like tens, thousands of to hundreds of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are currently living in the Holocene epoch, but there's a lot of talk uh, to sort of change it into something more fitting for what we've, uh, you know, turned the world into. So there's a lot of talk to change it into what's called the Anthropocene Epoch, mm-hmm. because it, if you look around, it truly is the age of humans, whether that's a good thing or bad. Yes. Very good. Nice little summary. You even touched on something that I was going to touch on. Oh. So yes, it is the current period of geologic time that we are in right now, as Jared mentioned. The last Fox, one was the Pleistocene. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So the one before this one was the Pleistocene, and it's easier to describe that one because it already happened, whereas we're in the like 
kind of beginning of this one, middle-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the Pleistocene um, was characterized by alternating glacial and interglacial ages, and it ended about 12,000 years ago, and that's when this current epoch began. Sorry, epic. It's E-P-O-C-H, so you can see, listeners, why I want to say epoch or epoch, <laughs> but apparently it's epic. I forgot to check myself on this a while ago. Um, so as we shifted from the Pleistocene to the Holocene epoch in Europe, which is where our study takes place, there was tundra that was then replaced by forest. The megafauna of the Ice Age disappeared because the climate became too warm for them by mammoths. And as such, the humans that hunted those large mammals switched to smaller game and increased their gathering of plant materials to supplement their diet. And as Jared mentioned, so some people call the Holocene the Anthropocene epoch because its primary characteristic is the global changes caused by human activity, looking at you, industrialization and climate change. But the people who don't want to change it say that that term is misleading because modern humans were well-established long before the Holocene epoch began. I mean, that's a good point, but our impact on the planet was not seen at that point. Exactly. So anyway, we're in the Holocene, or the Anthropocene. You pick your poison. I don't care. (laughs) Moving forward, what is the Mesolithic period? The Mesolithic? Mm Mm-hmm. I've never heard that term before, but I'd have to say it occurs between the Paleolithic and the Neolithic. That's correct. Okay, good. (laughs) And it makes sense that you haven't heard it much, because there is a dearth of research from this area and evidence. It's, It's basically what they call, like, the Paleolithic Dark Age. Interesting. Yeah. Just for, like, lack of, like, datable sites? Yeah. There's just, like, not much that we've uncovered from this period. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, the Mesolithic period in Europe, it's different times in different places, Mm -hmm. stretched from about five to 10,000 years ago. Gotcha. It's also called the Middle Stone Age, and as you said, occurred between the Paleolithic and the Neolithic, and... The Paleolithic has those chipped stone tools. The Neolithic has more polished stone tools. What was going on between those two things? Anyone's guess, basically. Hmm. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. I have no idea what would fill that gap. Yeah, neither do they. What? That's so fascinating. Um, But we will find out a little bit of it in this article. Cool. I'm excited. So right in the middle of it. All right. Moving forward away from ages. uh, What is micromorphology? Uh, the physical characteristics of something at the microscopic scale, I would guess. Yeah, basically, it's a, it's a branch of soil science. Soil science. Yes, and it's concerned with the description, interpretation, and, to an increasing extent, the measurement of components, features, and fabrics in soils at a microscopic level. Which, in one way, could tell you what was there and when was there? Yes. So this is, um, this is a new way of studying archaeological sites when, mm. like, the textiles, tools clay pots, whatever, of the time are too degraded to actually see them. Oh, so you measure their presence in the soil by just, like, the existence of the elements that wouldn't be there otherwise. Exactly. That's fucking cool. I know, smart, right? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so that is micromorphology, which is involved in this study. Cool. Another thing involved in this study, photogrammetry, or photogrammetry. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. It is the art and science of extracting 3D information from photographs. The process involves taking overlapping photographs of an object, structure, or space, converting them into 2D or 3D digital models. Why? Once again, this helps (laughs) in an archaeological site where things are too degraded. Mm, Um, I gotcha. Yeah, so if you get a 3D view of a space, then you can look at it, you know, longer than just while you're in that dark cave, and in more detail than if you were looking at a compressed 2D photograph. You can actually get a sense of depth and everything, and so that allows us to get more information in the present, but it also preserves more information for the future. Interesting. Yeah. 
Like, imagine if people in, like, the 1920s took 3D photographs instead of 2D photographs. How much more we would know about that time period. A whole lot. A whole, whole lot. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. So, photogrammetry is taking those 2D photographs and basically either taking them and taking as many photographs as you can from one area to reconstruct a 3D model, or, in real time, taking photographs from all angles to, to construct a 3D model. Science is magic, man. I love this shit. Science is super cool. Next in the jargon corner, radiocarbon dating. Ooh, this one's fun. Uh, radiocarbon dating is one of the best tools we have for dating things within the range of like 50,000 years or so. Um, it's based on the idea that different isotopes of carbon, different like flavors of how many exact atoms they have. What can change and have it still be the same atom? Is it neutrons? Either way. Um, so you have carbon-14, right? Carbon-14. Carbon C-14, 14C. Yes, 14C decays into something else. Is it carbon-12? Okay, um, at a relative, not relatively, an absolutely stable rate. And you can use that backwards uh, rate of decay to basically date sites where you have this carbon-12 to carbon-14 ratio. And again, within the range of like 50,000 years, you can date pretty precisely how old that site is. Yeah, basically when an organism is alive, an animal or a plant is alive, the amount of carbon-14 that they exchange with the environment is perfectly balanced. The mm -hmm. amount of 14C in their body is going to be the same as in their surroundings. But after an organism dies, that equilibrium is broken, and then the carbon starts to slowly decay at that very stable rate. It's half-life. Mm -hmm. And so because we know this, we can determine the age of anything that was once alive by the amount of 14C that's still present in the sample today. Mm -hmm. If you want to look back more than 50,000 years, you got to use something like uranium. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. What is CalBP? CalBP. It's a measurement. It's a measurement. I'm going to say it probably doesn't have anything to do with calories, because that's not what we're talking about here. It does not. It does not. Then I don't know. <laughs> it means calibrated years before the present. Oh. So usually in science, at least the science that I have dealt with, we measure things with BC or BCE and CE. Mm. So before the common era and in the common era, which used to be before Christ and in the in the AD, in the Addo Domini, in the year of our Lord, whatever. Mm-hmm. So usually that's like the, the thing that I think of scientists using to measure time. But in archaeology, it's more common to see something measured as a certain number of years, Cal BP, which means years since the year that the scientific uh, study was published. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So instead of having to convert it, be like, all right, 2000 BC, that's like uh, 4000 years ago. It's just already telling you 4000 years ago. And the reason it's calibrated BP is because it signifies the raw radiocarbon date cited has been corrected using current methodologies. Oh. Yes, because uh, radiocarbon dating was invented in the 1940s, and in the decades since, basically archaeologists have discovered there's wiggles in the radiocarbon curve. The atmospheric carbon fluctuates, and mm. so um, adjustments to that curve have to be made to correct for those wiggles because as we said the organism will have the same amount of carbon in its body as there is in the surrounding environment but what they learned in the decades since radiocarbon dating was invented is that the amount of carbon in the environment does change right that's true yeah because you know climate change yeah so basically if you see something that says cal bp cal bce cal ce um, that signifies that the radiocarbon date mentioned in the study has been calibrated to account for the wiz. Nice. Yeah, so just being like, we checked our boxes. So. <laughs> we did the work. Yeah. You won't hear me say CalBEP at all when I'm talking through this article, because I'm just going to say years ago. <laughs> just so you know, they did calibrate it. It's Love legit. It. Love it. All right, and that is our Dragon Corner. Nice.
This is one of your shorter journal I covers, was gonna I have say, to say. It's a short one for me, don't you think? I think so. It was longer, but then I took some things out. Um, so, <laughs> I was like, we don't need to talk about all of this before we get into it. It's a good length, I think. All right. Shall we dive in? Let's dive in. After. It's wrong with me. Yes, grab your fidget. Yeah, my fidget. Everyone grab your fidget. Grab your fidgets, guys. Mm-hmm. All right, let me paint you a picture. So our story takes place in a place called Liguria, Italy. Liguria, Italia. You ever heard of this place? Mm, no, but I've also only heard of, like, Florence. Have you heard of the Italian Riviera? Sounds like Italian river. Have you heard of <laughs> Genoa? I have heard Genoa. the word Genoa. <laughs> yeah. I think salami comes from there. Or Cinque Terre. Not even a little bit. Monaco. Monaco I've heard of, but I think there's races there. Okay. These are all... Oh, no. No? Racists? Car races. Like, races. Like races. <laughs> I mean, there's racists everywhere, to yeah. be fair. But... <laughs> but, like, really? They're known for it? Sorry, Monaco. Um, no, okay. So it's an area that is currently known for how beautiful it is, so I'm going to show you. Look how pretty. Oh, wow. Isn't it gorgeous? Their city looks so, like... Colorful. No, and, like, not in the way of anything else that's not a human. I like how it was just, like, built right into the cliff. Yeah, so, like, what we're looking at here is, like, a beautiful cliffside with, like, green mountains behind it, and then on the cliffside, built into the cliffside, are these little, like, apartment-looking houses or shelters that are in bright colors, like, bright pink and blue and yellow and orange, and it's just gorgeous. So it's a region that tourists love to go to. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at the map of Italy, it's like where you tie your laces. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so northern Italy. And that is where this study takes place. However, our study takes place in a very different time period. About 10,211 to 9,910 years ago. Cal BP. I'm trying to convert that into, like, BCE and CE in my head, and I can really understand why, why they would change this. Yeah. I know, but, like, math, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, like, 8,000 to, like, about 8,000 BC. Yeah, something like that. Whatever. When the subject of our study was living. Oh. Yes. So, this study obviously was done this year, <laughs> but <laughs> the subject of the study lived right at the beginning of the Holocene period. So right at the end of the last ice age, right at the beginning of the Mesolithic period. Or so the this is a human because we're dealing with like archaeology. And I said anthropology. So definitely a human. It's a person. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it is a people-focused episode. Sorry, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we know what Cinque Terre looks like now, but what did things look like 10,000 years ago? I had to look it up. <laughs> um, the continents were in the same place mm-hmm. that they are now. Same got, mountains, same rivers. To the side. Yeah, so like those cliffs were still there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, a couple inches. Yeah. 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 You know, continental drift. Mm-hmm. Um, Liguria is right at the top of the boot where you tie your laces. It was then, still is, and the mountains along that coast, which are called the Maritime Alps, rocket out of the ocean about 3,600 feet within three miles of the coast. Wow. That's a tall mountain. Really sharp relief. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's actually greater than the peaks in the Scottish Highlands, which are known for being like high and sharp relief. Hmm. So. Damn. Those are those cliffs we're looking at. Italy is definitely winning in that regard. Yes, they are. So those cliffs were still there. Living things wise, 10,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. Um, <laughs> of the nine species of humans that we know of right now, only one was left. Guess which one? Homo sapiens sapiens. That's us. Yes. Um, Neanderthals were the most recent to have perished. And they think that they perished about 20,000 years before. 
possibly lives. possibly derailing question do you know if if neanderthals were considered a completely separate species and not like a subspecies because i remember learning it as homo sapiens sapiens is us and then homo sapiens neanderthalensis is the neanderthals oh i do not know but that's a good point I mean, we I'm were able to interbreed, that. so I think it would be a subspecies. We definitely were, but on the other hand, fishes in different families can hybridize sometimes. Oh, true. So, I mean, I think it's semantics. Yeah, probably. But they were our very close relatives. Oh, definitely. For sure. If I met one, I'd probably, like, chill with them. Well, I'd want to. I don't know if they'd chill with me. There's a lot of mysteries about Neanderthals and Homo sapiens in, like, this period of history in general. Which is why this study is so exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when we keep discovering new species of ancient humans. The I fucking know. Denisovans Nine we figure out. Oh my god, the Denisovans is such a cool discovery. So interesting. Also, the hobbits were kind of cool. They're my favorites because... That was Homo floriensis, right? Yes. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, we're back in 10,000 years ago. Large Ice Age animals... They're gone, um, but pretty recently. So, like, maybe there's a cave bear or two walking around, but mm -hmm. probably not. And not in Africa, where a lot of them survived. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why rhinos are still here. Aw, <gasps> oh, yay! Go rhinos! Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that kind of plugs a hole in the whole, like, did climate change 100% cause all these extinctions, mm -hmm. and did humans 100% cause these extinctions? Because it did not happen across the planet. It mm -hmm. happened in North and South America. It happened much long longer ago. Like, they started, like, 50,000 mm -hmm. years ago in Australia. It didn't really touch Africa very much, at least compared to the other continents and landmasses. And that's why you have so many weird-looking animals there. And huge ones. Giant mm -hmm. megafauna. Yeah. African fucking elephants, man. That's true. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of megafauna in Africa. I'm going to get you that book. It's a really good book. Please do. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so yeah, no more megafauna, mostly. Not in, not in Europe, which is where the study takes place. Right. No more saber-toothed cats. <laughs> Damn. Um... However, the people in Europe had not yet developed any sort of agriculture, and they wouldn't for another about 3,000 years. They're just hunting and gathering? Yeah, but it's interesting because we think of, like, after the Ice Age, they started planting things, but there's, like, <laughs> thousands of years. Big old between... gap of time where we... Yeah, oh. and that is the Mesolithic period, is it between. That's rad. Exactly. So it's like, how were they living? There were no megafauna to hunt. Hmm. So, again, they think it's, you know, small game, berries, fishing. Would have had to be. Yeah, but, like... Kind of a mystery. Indeed. Yeah. And also, eating small game doesn't leave as many marks of human inhabitation as... Right, because the small old bones, yeah. it's not going to preserve nearly as well as something like a big old mastodon. Exactly. Gotcha. So, Dark Age. There's no wine, there's no pizza, there's no pasta. <laughs> <laughs> Truly a Dark Age. Italy is a very different time. Uh, um, very different place at this time. Um, they think people may have lived in caves. Um, that's where they find the most evidence of humans at this time. Mm -hmm. um, but that also might just because... The caves provide shelter for the remains. Right. Shel so like, shelter from all the elements as, exactly. like, as time goes. So it's like, did people live there because of the shelter? Or do we think pe people lived there because it sheltered their bones? Hmm. We don't know. But it seems like a good place to live. Um, what I did find out, though, is that they definitely made art. And they decorated themselves and their tools with shells and beads. And um, they made plant-derived dyes. So, like... Even before agriculture, they were doing art stuff, which is, like, very human. Yeah, there was um, there was a recent discovery about the animation capabilities of cave paintings, where if you mm -hmm. were to walk through with a light, you'd see the shadows yes. and figures dancing on the fucking walls. And, oh my god, they had cartoons, like, exactly. 10,000 years ago. Not any light, specifically with a torch. Because right. Because the way flames dance, mm -hmm. they would, yeah, basically turn them into, like, a flip book. Kind so of like cool. what happens in the movie Ice Age. Right! Yeah. They, they got that right. They predicted. Oh my god. I know. Mm -hmm. Ice Age did it first. But Ice Age did not take place in the Mesolithic. That was the Paleolithic, okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> anyway, 
It's hard to find information about Mesolithic humans because archaeologists did not have as much stuff to go on from that period as discussed, especially in Europe. However, there is a lot to go off from the period right before, which is called the Gravatian period. Have you ever heard of the Gravatian period? No. It's a period of human history specific to Western Europe, and it's characterized by the type of tools and crafts made by the people. Were specifically, they Gravatian? Gravatian, yes. Um, so this is people about 33 to 22,000 years ago. Oh, wow. Have you ever seen a Venus figurine? Just like a statue of a naked woman? Yeah, it's like the... Here, I'll, I'll show you. This is what the Gravatian period is like known for. Like the fertility figures. Yeah, that's what they often call them. That yeah. is the exact yeah. thing I thought of. Yeah, yeah. It's, and all of you, you're picturing the exact right thing in your head. It's like a stone carved into like a very voluptuous woman with like a big belly and big boobs, and big thighs, and she's just like really juicy. Venus figurine. Mm -hmm. Which is funny that they call it that because this was way pre-Romans, thousands of years. Yeah, Venus is very Eurocentric. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, this was in Europe, but... Okay, fair point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> specific to Western Europe. But yeah, so those those were made in the Gravashian period. It's interesting because the Gravashian <laughs> the Gravashian period is considered the last unified culture of your of the European continent. Oh, yeah, interesting. So those Venus figurines are all throughout Western Europe, and then things break apart basically, and they don't really know why. This might be a little off topic, but I, uh, there's this guy I follow on TikTok who's like a historian type, and mm -hmm. he was uh, making the argument that uh, Europe doesn't really qualify as its own continent. It doesn't. It it's doesn't. It's, it's full ass connected to Asia. Yeah, it's entirely cultural. And he was, he, yeah. was, he was making the argument that you could do the same thing with like the Middle East or like Eastern Asia could, mm -hmm. could, could technically be its own continent if you applied the same standards to Europe. Exactly. Um, it's, it's Eurasia kind of, for me. Okay. Yeah. Your, Europe and Asia being separate is just denying reality. It's very silly. Mm -hmm. Very silly. Yeah. Eurasia. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that stays. Yeah. All right. So the site of this study specifically is in the Italian Riviera. It's a cave called Arma Viera, and it's situated on the north side of a very steep marble cliff face at an elevation of about 1,500 feet above sea level. There's evidence of human habitation in this cave that dates back to as early as 50,000 years ago. Holy hell. Yep. And there's remnants of both Homo sapien and Neanderthal representation all the way through to the present. It's actually a very popular tourist area, or was, until 2017 when these studies started. Oh, and they had to block it off. For, yeah. yeah. And the, or 2015, sorry. And the reason they started excavating is because people who were just going for picnics were finding, like, bones and stuff, and then they posted them on Instagram, and paleontologists were like, holy, that is a Neanderthal bone. Stop what you're doing right now. <laughs> we're on our way. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That's so much tracks for the year... Anything in the 2010s. Right, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, literally, people are like, look at this cool bone I found on my picnic. Archaeologists were like, Jesus Christ! It belongs in a museum! Yeah. So, it is a very exciting place for archaeologists because 50,000 years of continuous human habitation? Are you kidding me? That's a long, old time. Yeah. And, as we were talking about earlier, it potentially could hold the answers to some of the biggest questions in the fields of an uh, anthropology and archaeology. Like, why did Homo sapiens go on to conquer the globe when Neanderthals perished? Didn't we, like hybridize them to death? Oh, wait, no, that's just a hypothesis. It's, yep, it's all hypotheses. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. Um, other questions include, what did early humans care about? What were their values? How did they treat other early humans of the same or different species? Hmm. And some of those questions are going to be answered here today. Ooh. Yeah. Scandalous. So as I mentioned, they've been excavating there since 2015. And in addition to trying to answer their own questions, they're also setting up future archaeologists for success 
by documenting all of their work and findings in a free-to-access virtual 3D model you can get to online. And you can literally do a full virtual 3D fly-through of the entire cave right now if you want to. That's awesome. Yes. So I will post that link in the show notes and also on the Instagram. Um, and we will do it right now. So tell us what you're seeing. I'm seeing a patch of isolated land that looks like you're going through it in a helicopter. Oh, and we're going inside the cave. And this was constructed from fucking photographs? Yeah. That's insane. Mm-hmm. You can see all, like, the buckets that they're using and the tools. It's a pretty deep cave. Wow. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, that's insane. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. The big old right square patch of land mm -hmm. where they found a human. Some pretty cool shit. Yeah. Wow. So you can see there's several different dig sites within the cave. And there's these red lines that separate them. And those sort of denote the different eras that they're exploring. So there's multiple different eras and the different pits are looking at dig sites from those different eras. Oh. And as we zoom back out, we're back into a steep cliffside covered with little scrubby trees. Very Mediterranean. And goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that is so cool that they were able to do that with I pictures. I know, right? Yeah. So awesome. Um, and it's more than cool, um, just for, like, viewers like us who are, like, curious. It's incredibly cool for future archaeologists, because archaeologists are forever frustrated by those who came before them, who did not have the analytical tools that they have now, destroying valuable evidence. Oh, yeah. It has happened so much in the past, like, especially, like, a great example is think back to, like, medieval people discovering, like, dinosaur bones and being like, it's a dragon, and then moving them around. And then burying them and burning them and just... Ugh. All sorts of stuff. God. Yeah. Um, so these archaeologists have teamed up with a group called CHEI, the Cultural Heritage Engineering Initiative, and they use photogrammetry to create virtual interactive 3D models for dig sites all over the world. Wow. This is not the only site that you can do a fly-through of right now. Uh, yeah, I would imagine there's a lot yeah. of them, but this technology is here. Yeah, and that lets archaeologists collaborate in real time without traveling, um, which is incredibly cool right now in this period of history that we're in, where there's Hell a yeah. pandemic <laughs> and we cannot travel. Mm -hmm. So archaeologists can literally work remotely for field work. That's fucking awesome. Right? Yeah, that's cool. Um, and also it lets them share their work with the public and each other for free. Super cool. Right. Love to see it. So, for the first two years of this dig, they mostly found Neanderthal artifacts, and they were mostly focusing on the mouth of the cave. Mm -hmm. So they found things called Mousterian tools. Huh? I don't know. Neanderthal tools. All right. <laughs> um, remains of ancient meals, such as the cut-marked bones of wild boar's elk and bits of charred fat. Ooh. And they used that with the soil micro-morphology. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. They were finding these Neanderthal things, which was really cool. But then they started to find newer stone tools, um, which didn't make sense. And at first they were like, wow, these were advanced Neanderthals. But then through carbon dating, they turned out to be from erosion um, deeper in the cave. And in 2017, they opened a new section for excavation. And as they explored that new section where the tools were coming from, they began to unearth pierced shell beads. Mm -hmm. um, and those were taken back to the lab and determined to be from after the Grabashian period. The Upper Grabashian period. Wow. Yeah, so they were like, okay, this is not Neanderthal at all. This is like 20,000 years later. So is this, like, firmly in the Mesolithic? Yes. Awesome. It is very firmly in the Mesolithic. Very exciting. Again, because they basically are like, oh my god, this is from the Dark Age of Archaeology. Mm -hmm. This is like where we know nothing. Yeah. So then, after a few days, to quote Claudine Gravel-Miguel, 
I was excavating in the adjacent square and remember looking over and thinking, that's a weird bone. It quickly became clear that not only were we looking at a human cranium, but that it was also of a very young individual. They found a baby? Yes, they did, Jared. In a cave. Yes. All right, so the same archaeologists who were brilliant enough to seek out the CHEI team were also lucky enough to stumble across what we now know is the oldest adorned infant burial site ever discovered in Europe. Oh, so the so the pierced things were for the baby. Yep. Wow. Yeah. They buried a baby with trinkets. Yes, they did. All the way back then. And we're going to do a deep dive on it. Let's do it. Big cave magic. Let's go. Big cave magic. Um, <laughs> so it was like very, very exciting that they found this. It was also a very public find. Mm. And that led to lots and lots of collaborators on oh. this case, which is why there's so many authors on this study. Got it. Got it. So once they posted, they're like, look, we found this baby <laughs> um, from the Mesolithic period. Like every archaeologist and their mom was like, I'll be right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> truly. So they have micromorphologists, photogrammatists, DNA anal analysis, radiocarbon dating, and this very new type of study called histomomorphometry, which mm -hmm. literally I, I could not find you a definition. It's too new, but... H histo brings an image of like tissue. Yes. And it is... And then, so like the morphology of tissue? It's like the analysis of tissues that are so old they've like crumbled. Oh, so it's just like... Pale why don't they just call it paleohistology? I don't know. Okay. Or if, if that's its own thing, then sorry, paleo. If you are a histomorphologist, <laughs> please hit us up and let us know what the you do. <laughs> 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 but they found some really cool stuff out about right. this baby. Um, the histo... <laughs> the histo... <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so all of these people investigating this one baby, pretty cool stuff. Investigating so. this one baby. What did he do? Very important baby. Um, <laughs> so the micromorphological analysis of the intact blots of sediment allowed for a high-resolution documentation of the burial's geological context, including the composition and origin of the burial fill. And due to the surroundings rugged terrain, they couldn't actually take those burial blocks back to a real lab. So instead, each piece was removed on site and they literally flew the people in <laughs> wow. to do this analysis in the cave. They brought them to the cave. Yes, and then to document the 3D spatial relationships of the skeletal remains and the goods that were in the grave to one another, the total data was combined with a system using progressive photogrammetry so that you can literally, if you go to this website, we did like the cave fly through, mm -hmm. but here you can do like a 3D reconstruction of the actual uh, burial. Oh, wow. Yeah, like look how, many, how much detail. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot. And then they also, of course, were utilizing radiocarbon dating. And using that, they determined that the child lived 10,000 years ago. And amylogenin protein analysis and ancient DNA revealed that the infant was a female belonging to a lineage of European women known as the U5B2B haplogroup. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, then using virtual histology, <laughs> or the study of tissue and structure of the infant's teeth, those showed that she died... 40 to 50 days after birth. That's how specific they were able to get. That's insane. So yeah, she was between 40 and 50 days old. And they also could tell from this histomorphology that she experienced stress that briefly halted the growth of her teeth 47 days and then again 28 days before she was born. So she probably got sick. Well, while she was inside her mother. Oh. She experienced some sort of stress that stopped her teeth from growing twice. So maybe her mom got sick? Got sick, got injured. Oh yeah, that re could really be anything. Yeah, um, which could be why she died so soon after birth. Mm. 
<laughs> so something stressed out her mother or stressed her out in the womb um, like a couple months before she was born. She didn't survive long. Carbon and nitrogen analyses of the teeth revealed that the baby's mother had been nourishing the infant in her womb on a land-based diet. What does that mean? Uh, Just like... No seafood. Oh. Which is weird, because they're right near the ocean. Oh. But the, it is cliffside, so, like, how would you... Yeah, true. They didn't have, fish. like, you know, like, really long fishing rods back then. Yeah. They <laughs> like, like, spool all the way down. Yeah, they were not getting food from the ocean. But remember what we found first, before we found the baby? Shells. Yeah. What the fuck? Right? Oh. Okay, anyway. Huh. Um, so that might not sound like a lot of information, <laughs> but considering it's information about somebody who lived and died 10,000 years ago, it's huge. Like, we know what her mother was eating. We know what happened to her in the womb before she was born, or that something did. Like, we know exactly how old she was when she died. That's cr- a crazy amount of information for a burial site that's 10,000 years old. This is turning into a rather curiosity. Yes, it is. Um, also... Burial practices in the field of anthropology are basically a gold mine of information on the values and the beliefs of any given culture. And here is a culture we know almost nothing about. And here we have like basically like a wrapped present. To quote the study, ethnographically, many cultures have delayed attribution of personhood to young children, holding them in a liminal state of humanity. Thus, child funerary treatment provides important insights into who was considered a person and thereby afforded the attributes of an individual self, moral agency, and eligibility for group membership. Indeed, significant discussion persists concerning the recognition of infant personhood among prehistoric peoples. Mm. It's even more telling that this infant was a female, as prehistoric valuation of females is also a topic of heated debate. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So, you know, if you look back at, you know, history textbooks from, like, the 1950s, they're like... The men were super strong hunters who provided and protected the family and drove the progression of humanity and they picked the fittest females to have their children and they discarded the weak children so the females could make more babies and like there's all of this patriarchal overlay. Nonsense. Yes. Assumptions. Hmm. Yeah. That, you know, old scientists made kind of in a pathological science sort of way. I have to agree with you there. But as, you know, science has been opened up and we're getting more perspectives, more women, more queer people, more people of color, those old theories are being replaced and basically busted from every angle as technology and perspectives increase and allow, um, basically, more truth (laughs) (laughs) to be discovered. So it's a female, it's a baby. We have a lot of controversy around those two things in prehistory. Um, Here we go. So... How was this neonatal female decorated for burial 10,000 years ago in this cave in Italy? I will list her decorations for you now. Alrighty. First, we have a gray flint laminar flake, which is an early stone hunting tool that was positioned close to her head, and another one above her body, and evidence of ochre clay that had been degraded. What did they make out of the clay? We don't know, but we know that there was clay there because of the um, soil analysis. So, so... So they, like, put pots around her. Yeah, maybe pots, maybe decoration, we don't know, but there was some sort of clay, and then there were these two hunting tools that were positioned close to her head. Now that's interesting, right? That is interesting. It makes me wonder if... Why does this little baby need hunting tools? Uh, um, like, what did they think? Did they have a fucking afterlife all the way back then? Maybe. Because that's the... Like... That's a very human thing. To yeah. Think. Cultures made them as long as we have record of cultures making anything, so... Yeah, it gives me, um, like... 
uh, fucking Egyptian pyramid vibes. Right? Like, he put all this stuff with the people so they can have their organs in the afterlife. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like, was it so that they could carry it with them to the afterlife? Or was it, like, symbolic of, like, she was supposed to be a great warrior? Or maybe she came from a family of... I guess they were all hunters back then. We don't but... know! <laughs> we know so little, but it's exciting. Okay, so... Um, in addition to the, the hunting tools, they found at least 66 perforated Cumbella rustica ornamental shell beads. Which is a, um, which is a clam or a snail? Yes. It's a type of uh, snail, hmm. a little curly one. Mm-hmm. Um, the species was actually first described by Linnaeus. Interesting, because this baby was buried with these shells, like, 9,000 years before they were first described. <laughs> Go to sure, like, the ancient knowledge. Like, Not something that should ever be underestimated. Yeah, when it says discovered in 1758. <laughs> nah. <laughs> <laughs> Named. I'd also like to mention that the researchers said that the diet of the mother of this baby is only terrestrial, no fish, nothing from the sea, um, which was typical of people of that region at that time, they think. And I just think there's something like very mysterious and also very human about the fact that she had 66 shells from the ocean, even though her people did not use the ocean for food. Yeah, like that is very much a... A lot. <laughs> this also, is a lot of fucking chills. There's these, there are these super high cliffs that they live in that are like thousands of feet above the ocean. Can you think how much effort it would take to get so, all of those shells? A lot. Yeah. Unless they were training with another culture that had them. But Which could be. Yeah. We, we just don't know. Yeah. They also found three perforated pendants made of polished fragments of glycimerous which are known as, now, as bittersweet clams. Hmm. Um, they were also described by Linnaeus in 1758. <laughs> um, and the word for the species, glycimeris, comes from the ancient Greek word glycimeris, um, which means sweet part, a word which was only recorded once in Greek literature about 4,000 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So just some fun cross-sections of history there. Like that. <laughs> All right. In addition to those beads that were closely associated with the skeleton, they also found 27 more of the rustica beads and one turritella spiral um, from a pit nearby. Um, turritella, by the way, are gorgeous. They're like, they're really, lo- the ones that look like unicorn horns. Mm-hmm. So there was one of those. Lovely. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 20 centimeters away from the skeletal remains, they also found what they think was a secondary pit that was connected to the infant burial pit, which contained the claw of an eagle owl fitted for ornamentation. Wow. As well as highly fragmented faunal remains of large and medium-sized arteriodactyls, which are even-toed ungulates. Mm -hmm. What do you call them? Arteriodactyls. Okay. Arteriodactyls? Arteriodactyls. You're putting an R in the word. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, like deer and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Birds and some sort of mammals. They don't know what kind. But the bones were not fitted for ornamentation like the owl claw was. Mm. So yeah, like 20 centimeters away, there's like a arterial burial chamber that, you know, there's no skeletal remains in, but there's all of these animal remains and this talon. Were they giving her food for the afterlife? Like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Um, Based on how the shells were placed, researchers think that they were probably sewn into some sort of garment, maybe a blanket or a hood that was covering the upper body Mm. and some sort of skirt covering the waist and the torso. Mm. And the shell beads had signs that they had been used for varying degrees of time, and all of them a long time before they were buried. So they probably weren't made for funerary purposes. They probably received... The infant probably received beans. (laughs) So they probably got the beads for the burial from people who wore wore them for other purposes. Mm. So lots of different people 
wore the beads that were eventually sewed into this testament that the child was buried in. That would suggest, at least to me, like a sort of like connectingness of the people. Right? Like Like it takes a village kind of thing? 60 beads that could not have come from one person. Additionally, preliminary experiments estimate that the manufacture of all of the beads required at least 8 to 11 person hours, which is not including the time needed to collect the shells and just drilling the holes. Goddamn. Yeah. So that is a lot of time and effort. Eight hours to make a hole? To make 60 of them. Oh, I was just thinking like the one shell took eight to 11 (laughs) person hours. But still, that's a lot of person hours. That is a lot of person hours. In a time where there as far as we know, probably wasn't a lot of leisure. Yeah. Um, No paid labor either. Yeah. So like, was this like a super important baby? Hmm. We don't know. We don't have a lot of other babies to compare it to. (laughs) Mesolithic babies at least. Yeah. There's like almost none. Um, But what they are confident about is that this burial is very obviously intentional and the abundance of the ornamental objects so carefully crafted and placed suggests that whoever buried the child absolutely considered her to be a person with a capital P. Hmm. So that's important because where archaeologists find evidence of the delayed personhood that we were talking about earlier. Right, you're not an adult. I mean, you're not a human person until you're an like, adult. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not giving infants the same designation and funerary rights as adults. In those areas, they also find a higher risk of infant death. <laughs> Which makes sense. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you care about the baby, it's more likely to live. <laughs> right. Naturally. <laughs> um, <laughs> So if this burial is considered to be the norm of this period in this area, that could indicate a relatively low level of infant mortality, even as hunter-gatherers adapted to a diverse geography and the shifting environments of the late Pleistocene and early Holocene. That's rad. Yeah. Again, they don't have hardly any evidence from this time period, but based on time periods we do know more about, this is a good sign for babies at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Good sign for babies of the Holocene. Baby live long. Baby live long. Baby love. Well, not not this baby. No, but. not this baby. Anyway, <laughs> um, in their words, to pull a quote from the article again, this burial suggests a degree of egalitarian treatment of individuals in life and death, regardless of age, sex, or gender. Mm-hmm. The authors, um, as I said, also cited a few different infant burials, um, including one in Denmark uh, around the same time period, and she was buried with her mother and was laid on a swan's wing and covered in a blanket of beaded ochre. Oh, so sweet. Love that. Um, so those findings together imply that infant personhood, inclusive of females, has deeper origins in a common ancestral culture, or that it arose in parallel in nearly contemporaneous populations across the planet, because Denmark and Italy are very far away from each other. Yes, they are. Um, so finding two separate burials with infants being given really nice burial treatments from the same period from two very far away places suggest that people of this time period it might have been somewhat ubiquitous yeah maybe at least in like (laughs) uh you know uh, mesolithic europe yes yes um they also stated that given this new case the terminal pleistocene and earliest holocene should be considered the minimum antiquity for the recognition of young girls as members of society in cultures around the globe oh yeah so basically, in conclusion, if you think feminism is a new concept, you can suck my dick for 10,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> that is the moral of this paper. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Dudes who lived 10,000 years ago treated this tiny baby girl with honor and dignity and death 6,000 years before Stonehenge, 5,000 years before written language, 4,000 years before the wheel, and 10,000 years before your ass was born Chad, so get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So, any chads listening. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I got out of this. Love it. 
Yeah. Like a little feminist twist at the end, right? Yeah. Um, And now that we have finished with the article, I can tell you the title. Okay. Which is An Infant Burial from Armina Viriana in Northwestern Italy Provides Insights into Funerary Practices and Female Personhood in Early Mesolithic. Oh, yeah, that would have given me everything. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I, yeah, and it was published in Scientific Reports, Volume 11, Article Number 23,735. It was published December 14th, 2021. (laughs) Hell yeah. So there you have it. That was a cool paper. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good. It's hard to find a paper that interests Jared, guys, because he doesn't like mammals. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the orca one you did, though. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Sea mammals are okay. Mm-hmm. But for, for, for some reason. When I dive into the realm of humanity, sometimes Jared takes a nap. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Look. The closer you get to us, the less interested I tend to be. But and I did like this paper. Honestly, I appreciate that about you, Jared. Because for most humans, it's the opposite. We're very anthrocentric, generally. So We're boring as shit, man. So you... Um, Compared to a fucking scorpion? Hell yeah. Man. So you pull us to the to the fringes. The buggy buggy fringes. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right. And that's... um. This is the awkward part where we're done. <laughs> this is the end of the show. Um, I guess we haven't done this in a while. Um, did y'all know that you can talk to us? Oh, yeah. We have a presence on the internet. We do. We're on Instagram. We have an email that we remember the password of since the last time we talked about forgetting it. Yeah, we sure did. So if you know a scientist who would like to talk to us, or if you are one, um, or if you have a paper that you think is really cool, or one that you think is really confusing that you want explained, but not like, it our way. But not, like, too hard. I mean, if it's too hard, we'll reject you, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll give it our... I mean, we'll give it the old college We'll try. give it the old college try. Anyway. Unless it's, like, um... Unless what, Jared? I don't know. So, if you have any ideas... Please don't do chemistry. I hate chemistry. Okay, fine. (laughs) Maybe some light chemistry. Well, yeah, some light chemical tones. Whatever you want to do, send it to podcast at scienceinpictures.com is our email. Mm -hmm. Or find us on Instagram at science underscore in underscore podcast. Add us, DM us, whatever. And also check out the Instagram for photos from this um, paper and our other papers and, like, fun memes and stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Except you, Chad. Except you, Chad. Eat uh, 10,000 years worth of dicks.